Welcome to the Connection Church Athens podcast. Connection Church exists to connect all people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If you live in the Athens area, we would love for you to join us in worship Sundays at 11. Or if you would like more information about our church, visit us online at connectionchurchathens.com. We look forward to meeting you. I had a professor in my master's program who taught a course on evangelism. His name was Dr. Robinson. And I knew I was going to like Dr. Robinson immediately. Because on the first day of class, he shared his story, kind of shared his testimony. And he told us that he graduated from the University of Georgia. I'm going to like this guy. But when Dr. Robinson went to the University of Georgia, he was not a believer. He was an atheist, and he was a philosophy major, which is code for he didn't believe in Jesus, and he wanted to argue with anybody who believed in Jesus. And so he found... Uh, a little bit of a thing that he would do on the way to class every morning is he would argue with some people who would share the gospel out at the Tate Center. Now, some of you are probably familiar with the Great Exchange, the evangelistic organization that shares the gospel with students. It's not street preaching, right? This is, they hand out tracts, they talk with students and campus ministry. And he would love to argue with people from the Great Exchange until he became friends with some of them and talked with some of them, started going to Bible studies that they had and gave his life to the Lord. And now he's a professor of evangelism at seminary training pastors on how to share the gospel. I don't know, that's a cool story about how the gospel is still powerful in 2024, amen? Love that story. And one of the things that Dr. Robinson uh, made us do in that class was share and craft a 30-second testimony. Now, if y'all remember last year, we went through the Who's Your One Challenge, and I asked y'all to craft a 30-second testimony. That was Dr. Robinson teaching me, me teaching y'all. And a 30-second testimony is very powerful. You're at dinner, and you just go up to your waiter or waitress and say, hey, we're about to you know, pray for the meals or anything we can pray for you about, and can I tell you about Jesus? And I mean, his, his testimony was so powerful, 30 seconds, but he would just say, you know, before I knew Christ, I was insecure. I had a lot of questions. I didn't really have any answers for some of the, the most pressing questions of my life. But then I met Jesus and I understand how the grace of the gospel and my life has never been the same. But the last sentence that he said in his testimony struck me as a believer. He would say, now because of Jesus, my life is marked by hope and peace. That's a pretty bold claim. To say, now because of Jesus, my life is marked by hope and peace. If I were to tell you about my life in two words, I would say, it's so peaceful, it's so hopeful. You know why I think that struck me? As a student, as a believer. Because as a follower of Christ and as a believer, I would struggle to still say my life is marked by hope and peace. Anybody struggle with those two things? Would you define your life as marked by hope and peace? Would you be able to say, yeah, there's some hard things in my life, but but I don't lose hope. Yeah, there's some turbulent things in my life, but I still don't lose peace. Because the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ produces supernatural, unshakable hope, and it produces supernatural, unshakable peace. And I want to show you in these five verses, Romans chapter 5, that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ has the power to mark your life by hope and peace. 
Damien's read our passage for us, but this is what he says in verse one. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is your life marked by having peace? Well, he starts off right here. He's telling us the gospel has the power to give you and give me the peace with God that we all need. This is really good news. And if you've been following us through uh, the series on Romans so far, Paul did not start talking about how naturally, apart from Christ, we have peace with God. That's not how he described the relationship. Can I show you how he described the relationship before Jesus? It's in Romans 1.18. If you remember this, Romans 1.16 is the part where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. In verse 18, he tells us the bad news. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. Before Christ, my relationship with God is not marked by peace. It's marked by hostility. And that's not because God's an angry God or God's an unmerciful God, but it's because of what I've done. I deserve the wrath of God. And this is why the good news of the gospel is so amazing. The work of Christ and what Jesus did, right? We're told that we have peace with God through whom? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. What did Christ do to give me peace with God? I love Ephesians 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace who made the two groups into one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Because of the power of the gospel, where there was wrath and there was hostility between me and God, because of the work of Jesus, there's now peace. So my life can be marked by peace because I have peace with God is getting ahead of myself just a little bit. But next week, we're going to look at Romans 5, verse 9. Look at what it says just a little bit past our passage today. It says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. In the gospel and in the work of Christ on the cross, the wrath of God was absorbed by Jesus. And so now there's nothing left for me in a relationship with God, but to be marked by peace. Jesus did the work. Before I was born, Jesus Christ paid for the wrath of God. And so there is no more wrath for me to experience between me and God. It's all marked by peace. Do you have trouble believing that, church? You will never, in Christ, experience the wrath of God. Never, not a little bit, because Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. There's no more wrath of God because Jesus truly paid it all. Now, let me tell you what this means and what it doesn't mean. You and I may still experience the discipline of God. You and I may still experience the discipline. I'm telling the book of Hebrews, God disciplines those he loves. He may still send us through the fire, send us through hard times to discipline us and refine us and make us stronger. We're going to see this in the end of our passage today, but that's not the wrath of God. 
There's a difference between the discipline of God and the wrath of God. And so when I'm sitting in those uncomfortable moments, I'm thinking God's led me to this place. Just like in Matthew 4, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the Holy Spirit. I can say, this is hard and this is uncomfortable, but this is not the wrath of God because I have peace with God. This is the discipline of God. We may still experience the discipline of God, but the peace that we have with God is our anchor. Church, we may still experience the consequences of our sin. We may fall short and we may mess up and we may hurt relationships in our lives and hurt our abilities in so many different ways. We may experience the consequences of our sin, but we will not experience the wrath of God for that sin. And the peace of God is the anchor for our souls as we're experiencing the consequences of our sin. Say, this is not fun and this is my fault. I did this to myself, but I have peace with God. Our lives can still be marked by peace. We can still experience spiritual warfare from Satan. We can be tempted. We can be taken into places where we uh, are tempted to go run after the things of the world like they'll satisfy us and like they'll give us peace. But in that moment, I can remember the greater word of the gospel that says, I have peace with God. I don't need whatever Satan's offering me. And peace with God can be the anchor of our souls. This one's probably the least fun one of all of them. I can still experience wrath from other people but I still have peace with God. And other people may hurt us. And other people may let us down. And other people may uh, persecute us for our faith. Or you may be in a workplace situation where you're passed over for a promotion because they know you follow Christ, but you still have peace with God. And it is the anchor for our soul. And so really at the end of the day, no matter how turbulent our life gets, I have an anchor that can still mark my life by peace, no matter the circumstance. Because why? I have peace with God. This is the relationship that matters. This is the peace that I need. And it's given to us freely through the person of Jesus. No matter what's going on outside of me, there's an inner tranquility because of the work of Christ. I have peace with God. There's no more wrath. Jesus took care of that for us. Really easy application, because I know some of you are saying, okay, I know this. Okay, I know this. I walked in here this morning, and I knew all this stuff you're saying. I've got it on a head level, but how do I enjoy peace with God every single day? How do I walk in that peace? Because, Liam, I can sit in church and sing a, a cool song and, and have some time in the Word or even a quiet time during the week, and I feel really good. I feel really peaceful. But then five seconds after that quiet time, right, phone rings, something's going on, and all that peace just it's gone. As we get into the busyness of life, how do I consistently, daily, hourly, by the minute, enjoy peace with God? The answer is staring us in the face and we just don't do it. Are y'all ready? By prayer. How do you enjoy peace with God? Through your prayer life. How often did Paul tell us to pray? He said, pray without ceasing. Pray without stopping. Because of the work of Christ, we have access, we're gonna see it in the next verse, access to God by grace, every single moment. We can come to him. We can talk to him. Some of you probably got best friends that you talk to for like two hours a day on the phone. We can talk to God anytime. We can bring everything to him. You guys know the, the old hymn, 
what a friend we have in Jesus. I love the lyric that kind of hurts a little bit when you hear, but it says, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. What are you holding back from God? What are you walking through by yourself and not bringing God into the conversation? What is that thing that you're forfeiting peace because you're not enjoying a relationship with God in prayer? What a friend we have in Jesus has hit the nail on the head. But if that's not good enough for you, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, command us to pray. Do not be anxious about anything. Anybody failed in that this week? Do not be anxious about most things, some things, anything, but in everything. By prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen to the promise. If we bring everything to the Father, here's the promise. In the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want my heart guarded. I can't guard it. I want my mind guarded. I can't guard it. My mind has a tendency to run away from me. How do I do it? By bringing everything to God in prayer. Second thing I see in this passage in verse 2 is that the gospel gives us an unshakable foundation. The gospel gives us an unshakable foundation. Look at verse 2 with me. It says, through whom... We have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. NAS kind of got a weird word there, exult. It means to celebrate. We celebrate in the glory of God. He says, through whom, right? Who is that? That's through Jesus. We have been connected or given our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand. There's a reason we sang that last song this morning. Look where I'm standing now. Look where I'm standing now. This is the beauty. This is the, the claim we get to make. Dr. Robinson, at the end of his testimony, said in, in a certain sense, look where I'm standing now. He said, my life is marked by hope and peace. He said, look where I'm standing now. That's a powerful testimony to the world. Church, the gospel works. I'm living proof of it. Look where I'm standing now. That's the cry of the church. That's the cry of each one of us. Look where God has brought me. I'm on a firm foundation now. Look where I'm standing now. We talked about this last week in Romans 4, verse 16. Y'all remember in that? It says, for this reason, salvation is by faith in order that salvation may rest upon grace in the ESV. And he tells us the foundation, again, in verse 2, is grace. What do we stand on Paul's been hitting it. Our works? No. We stand on the grace of God. And so he says that by looking at the gospel in verses 1 and 2, we see that we get to have incredible hope, right? Verse 1 was about peace, but verse 2 is actually about hope as well. He says, because we have the introduction by faith into this grace, we celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. I want to talk a little bit this morning about what is biblical hope. Because we've kind of got this watered-down definition of hope, right? As if hope is what a little kid has when the dad says, we'll see. 
You guys know say that that's the classic dad answer. Can we go to Chuck E. Cheese tonight? I don't know if Chuck E. Cheese is even cool among kids. I don't know. Jamie's, AJ, AJ's probably being taught to stay away from Chuck E. Cheese these days. Um, but if he says something, we want to go to wherever, Athens Rush, Jamie will give the dad answer. We'll see. Is AJ hoping to go to Athens Rush? We would say, yeah, probably so, from a fleshly understanding of hope. But biblical hope, the hope that Paul's talking about here in Romans 5, 2, is not a response to God saying, we'll see. It is a response to a future expectation of the promises of God that will come to pass. When God makes a promise for us, it's not, hey, you're forgiven, you're saved, you're adopted. It's not like, well, we'll see if you're adopted. We'll see if you're forgiven. It is free indeed. It's a certain promise. And he says, we get to celebrate even now, responding and thinking about the message of the gospel even now when those promises have not yet been fulfilled. It's kind of like in verses one and two. He says, you're going to find a path to hope by just reflecting on the gospel. But when you just fix your mind on, on thinking about what Jesus has done for you, hope is going to start to grow. You're going to get excited about what God's going to do in the future. You're going to look at your world and you're going to see all the brokenness and all the death. And there's just going to, rising within you is going to be this certainty of what God's going to do. Jesus is really going to come back. He's really going to set everything right. I'm really going to live with him forever. There will be no more pain one day. And that hope begins to rise in you just by seeing what Jesus has done. But then verses three through five are a different path to hope. Verses one and two tell us this like really easy path to hope by just thinking about what Jesus has done. Verses three through five tell us a a darker path that still produces hope. That's what it says. And not only this, but we also exult or we also celebrate in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I want you to see the two different paths, right? In verse two, we're told that we um, receive hope. And at the end of verse two, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then in verse 5, he tells us that by our tribulations, hope is also being produced in our lives. Got me thinking of this idea. This is a really recent example, honestly one, that I kind of came up with this morning uh, while we were singing in worship. I hope that's okay. Uh, That might be breaking the rules. But yesterday, I did something new for the first time. I played nine holes of golf, okay? And I'm glad none of you were there. (laughs) Would have lost a lot of respect. So my father-in-law had three daughters. And so he's been waiting a long time to have you know, some sons, some guys hanging around the house. And so he's got two son-in-laws now, me and uh, Micah. Some of y'all know Micah. And uh, so for Christmas, he bought us golf clubs because he wants to turn us into something we're not, right? And so he buys us golf clubs and he's like, come on, y'all, we're going out. It was cold yesterday. Y'all know that. It was windy yesterday. I was blaming the wind on my plane. Now, something that's weird about me, I'm right-handed, I write right-handed, all that kind of stuff, but I bat left and I golf left. As of yesterday, I golf left. Um, So he got me left-handed clubs. I knew that's what I needed. 
And so we go out there to play golf. And Micah is a little more advanced than me. Uh, he's the better son-in-law. They bought him golf clubs for Christmas. He went to the range like seven times. He's like, Liam, how many times have you been out? I'm like, this is my first time. So we go out and I'm learning about golf a lot, but depending on if you're right-handed or left-handed, you slice differently, right? So I, I golf left, and so my ball tends to go left. Now, Mike is right-handed. His ball just naturally drifted right. And I laughed. I thought it was so funny because we would start out on the hole together, and then from our first drive shot, we would go out, and he would go that way, and I would go that way, and then we would meet up together at the green and put the ball into the hole. But it was funny. We were never, I was never in the woods. Yeah, I was. But <laughs> we would always, we would not be close together. We'd start out, and then there were two paths to the hole. And that's really what he's describing here. He's saying when life's really good, and when you're at the, 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 the church conference, or you're at the camp, or you're having that mountaintop experience, and you just think about what Jesus did, hope's going to grow in your life. And God's going to redeem that, and he's going to produce hope in your life. But even in the darkest times of your life, even in the trial, even in the sickness, even in the really, really hard times, God can produce hope in your life. doesn't matter if you slice right or slice left. You're still going to end up eventually at the same spot. And in verses 1 and 2, he's describing when you're sitting out by the lake in the morning, with your cup of coffee and your Bible and you're reading a, a powerful passage and you're looking out and your kids are playing on the dock and they're getting along just fine and everything's great. In verses three through five, he's describing how God produces hope in your life when you're sitting in a hospital room, about when you're sitting at the funeral home, when you're sitting there or maybe laying there at night and you can't sleep because you're thinking about what am I gonna do about my job? What am I going to do with these relationships? That God is powerful enough and the gospel is good enough news to produce hope in our lives even then. This is the, the third point. The, the gospel, sorry, I got to get it. The gospel gives us anti-fragile hope. The gospel gives us anti-fragile hope. And I want to define that word for you, anti-fragile cool word. It's a helpful word, especially in spiritual conversations, but we all see a word in there. It's fragile. What, what does fragile mean? It means easily broken. I think of when you get an Amazon box delivered to your house and red letters on the side say fragile, right? Olivia bought something glass, so we got to be really careful with it when we bring it in the house. That's what fragile is, but what is, what is something that's anti-fragile? It doesn't just mean something that's hard to break. The word anti-fragile is really cool because anti-fragile describes an object or a thing that benefits and grows stronger from the thing that breaks the fragile. What breaks the fragile strengthens the anti-fragile. Here's the example. Think about fire and think about a birthday candle. A birthday candle fire is very fragile. If I blow on that birthday candle, just give it a little bit of wind, it's going to extinguish the fire. So wind destroys fire, right? Well, what if I had a bonfire? And don't try this at home, kids. But what if I got a leaf blower 
hooked it up, turned it on high, and pointed it at that bonfire. Because a birthday candle goes out from wind, we would expect the bonfire to go out. The fireman told me that's not what happens. The oxygen actually makes the flames grow higher. Because a bonfire flame is anti-fragile, and a birthday candle is fragile. And I believe we've got the gospel wrong because many of us struggle with believing that our relationship with God is fragile. A relationship with God's fragile. Church only works when your life's going well. Community and being in group and getting in the word only works and it's only beneficial when your life's going well. But when things turn sour and things turn dark, then God's not powerful. And God cannot produce gold in our lives in the hard times. And we miss what he's describing here in verse 3. What does he say? He says, we celebrate in those hard times too, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Notice the progression here. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, God, we're going to see trials in our lives, and we're going to walk through those things hand in hand with Jesus, and we're going to persevere through those things, and we're going to get to the other side, and what's going to be produced? Proven character. We're going to be able to finally live up to that song we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And we're going to walk through life, and we're not going to turn back. We're going to walk with him. We're going to get closer with him. And on the other side, there's going to be proven character in that. And from that place of proven character, what God is producing in our lives is hope. That doesn't make sense, church. How can the hard times produce hope in our lives? Because the Holy Spirit's doing something we can't do. And that's what verse 5 tells us. Hope does not disappoint. This isn't a we'll see sort of thing. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. There's somebody at work behind the scenes producing hope in our lives in every single circumstance. You see, the gospel's not fragile. It's anti-fragile got a few examples from the New Testament that we see. You think about the book of Acts. The church started with a few hundred people and grew to thousands, and they weren't having an easy time. They were facing fierce persecution. Acts 5, verses 40 through 41. It says, they followed his advice as a Sanhedrin. These people who persecuting the church. It says, after calling the apostles and the followers of Christ, they flogged them, they beat them, and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. So the apostles went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They were excited that they had been beaten because God had put a tribulation in their path so that they could experience it and they could persevere, they could have proven character, and they could experience greater hope hope on the other side. What a perspective. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, this is how Paul describes it. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. He says what God's doing in your life is so much greater than what you're walking through. And then I can't even stop reading New Testament scriptures without James chapter 1. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking in nothing. Verse 5 tells us that the power source for producing hope in your life is the Holy Spirit. God's going to do something through your circumstances that you cannot do. And what that means is in the good times, true biblical hope, true hope in Christ cannot be produced on your own. Even in the best times, everything is going well. You got money in the bank account, right? The job's going great. Relationships are great. You can't produce hope in the good times apart from the Holy Spirit. But what if you've sliced left and you're on a different path and you're walking through the darkest season of your life? You have to have the Holy Spirit just as much then than when you do in the good times. We need God to produce this in our lives no matter the circumstance. But I want to come full circle back to the idea of peace with God. It is so easy, church, in that dark season of life, that dark path, to start doubting the gospel and to start thinking, am I really standing on a firm foundation of grace? Or is God mad at me? Am I like the one person who God's going to continue to punish and God's going to continue to pour out his wrath on me because, you know, Liam, it's been two or three years and I just can't catch a break. But the truth of the gospel allows us to see this is not wrath. It's tribulation, maybe it's discipline, maybe it's consequences, but it's not God's wrath. And so we get to stop asking the question what did I do wrong? And we get to start asking the question, how is God going to use this? And that's a world of difference, church, when you're walking through the storm. It's a world of difference. God, what did I do? Was it my performance? Was there something I did wrong that made God mad at me? And now I don't know how to get out of this. And we're stuck in despair in the midst of the storm. The gospel gives us the power for our life to be marked by hope and peace. So even the darkest times, we get to get a little bit excited and saying, this is terrible. I hate walking through this season, but I'm, I'm gonna dare to believe that God is powerful. I'm gonna dare to believe that he can produce hope in my life in every season. So I'm gonna start asking in the middle of the storm, how is God gonna use this for his glory and for my good? doesn't matter what we go through. God is powerful enough to produce hope. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come up. and I want to ask you, church, is your life marked by hope and peace? Are those two distinguishing marks of your life and two evaluating questions to answer that question is, do you see yourself, child of God, as fragile or anti-fragile? Do you see yourself as easily broken, or do you see yourself as being able to benefit from the things that hurt? And this is a good one too. Not only do you see yourself as fragile or anti-fragile, but do we, Connection Church Athens, as a body, see this church as fragile or anti-fragile? The music's got to be just right. Liam's sermon's got to be really good. Well, that's out. Everything's got to be perfect or somehow we're not going to please God. And I'm not trying to sign up for this, but do we dare to believe as a church 
that even in the darkest moments, when, when, when people in our church are, are walking through really hard things, that those aren't threats to the health of the church, but that they're actually really cool opportunities for God to redeem and for God to restore and for God to do something that we could never imagine. And that takes faith, church, because it doesn't look good. We got to rest in the character of God and say, this is good. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you said, Liam, I don't even, I'm not even on the first step of my life being marked by hope and peace because I have not trusted in Jesus. I want to tell you that offers on the table today. It's not about working. It's not about coming down and talking to somebody or just praying a prayer. It is about placing your faith in Jesus and just say, I have tried to make peace with God. I have tried to clean up my life and make myself better so that I'll be proud. But everywhere I turn, there's failure. Everywhere I turn, there's insecurity. And I'm tired of working and I'm gonna trust Jesus with my life. I'm gonna trust that he paid the price and that he has established peace with God. We wanna give you an opportunity to place your faith in Jesus in this room right now. I can't think of anything better for us to do. So we're gonna have an elder down front if you need to talk to somebody. But for many of us, I think, If you're in a good season, recognize that you still need to depend on God through that. If you're in a hard season, you need to depend on God and the power of the Holy Spirit to produce hope because we can't do it on our own. They say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I don't think that's in the Bible. But for those with eternal life, that means everything makes you stronger. You're not fragile. If you are in Christ, you are not fragile. You are anti-fragile. Because he has taken you from the kingdom of darkness and he has placed your feet on solid ground and you are free. No more wrath, only peace. No more despair, only hope. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. Let's pray together, church. God, thank you for these people. God, I thank you for just the adoption, just just for the salvation that we've experienced in this room. And God, that there are children of yours in this room crying out. God, and you have shown us that only you can establish peace. Only you can produce hope in our lives. God, I pray that you be near to those who are hurting today, to those who are walking through dark times. We're not, we're not trivializing pain. We're not, we're not discrediting darkness and, and hard times. Well, we're just going to trust you through it. And God, I just pray if there's somebody who's trying to hold on to control on a dark time, Lord, they would surrender and they would give it all to you. Lord, I pray Connection Church Athens would be a group of people who could proclaim to the world, my life is marked by hope and peace. God, would you be glorified in this time? In Jesus' name, amen.